Well, we are in the third week of four week of a four of a four week message a sermon called uh, "Ugly Christmas Sweater," and I, I think I, I think this one wins the, the prize so far. This is awful, but I want you guys to have a visual of really what we're talking about is what's going on on the inside of our hearts, you know, on the inside of our minds, the inside of our motives, the inside of our actions, what, what, what comes out. And so this is obviously something as you're looking at it, you're going, I'd never be caught dead in it. And, and, and you probably are right in that way, but the, the, the idea is too, is that many times our actions and our thoughts and our words and our motives are about as crazy ugly as this right here. It's just that they're seen in, in a different way than the apparel that we wear. Um, so I want to ask you guys some questions this morning. These are really easy questions, by the way. There's no tricks to them. Um, and the answer to them is all the same. Um, I want to ask you, is it good to give something to someone? Is it good to give something to someone? Is it good to have a giving heart? Yeah, of course. Is it good to pray to God? It's a good thing, isn't it? How about not so much enjoyable, but is it good to fast? Yeah, you know, fasting is hard, but it's a good thing, right? Yeah, so we give things to people, we pray to God, and we fast. Those are all good things. Um, but they can all be done, uh, among other things, they can all be done with wrong motives. Did you know that? We can give to someone with a wrong motive. We can actually pray to God with a wrong motive. We can actually fast with a wrong motive. Actually, Jesus brought these three things up in Matthew chapter 6 as examples for us, giving and praying and fasting, all three things that are good things that we do that can turn into bad things depending on our motive. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Every person is motivated to act by specific things in life. The question is, what is your motivation for doing what you do? Jesus is pointing out these three examples that many times the reason we do things is because we're searching for some sort of praise or some sort of benefit from people when we should be seeking praise from God only. You see, God desires that we have healthy motives for our actions. And with healthy, Christ-like motives, we also become people who live a healthy, Christ-like life. So our motives are very important. Our motives contain even our seemingly good actions like giving and praying and, and fasting. So I asked the question to you this morning, do you want to do the right things in life just because they're the right things based on God's word, or do you want to do it because you might receive praise or a benefit? That's what we're going to be looking at today, why we do what we do. So again, the third week in our series here, Ugly Christmas Sweater, and so far we've talked about the Christmas season that should be the most wonderful time of the year. And it is in a lot of ways. But we also, in the first couple of weeks, we've been looking at how a lot of times our ugly thoughts about others creep up. And also, the ugly words that come out, they can really hurt other people. And we don't even know to the extent of what they, uh, they do to hurt people. But I, I hope you've taken to heart the homework assignments that I've given you the last couple of weeks. And you've walked those out as well. And they've really been giving you opportunities to develop more of a Christ-like quality uh, in your thoughts and words towards each other. But today I want us to look at our ugly motives and how they can hinder our relationships and also harm our witness for Jesus to those around us. Um, 
give you an example of what I'm talking about. There was a, a young man, a young married man, whose wife was expecting a baby. Real exciting time, certainly in, um, in this couple's life. And his co-workers took an unusually high level of interest in this man's uh, wife's pregnancy. He would ask, they would ask questions to him like, how's your wife coming along? And, and uh, have the doctors given any more details on when the baby is going to arrive? And, and what's the latest on your new arrival? And the young man was very excited and thought, wow, I really work with a lot of people who care about uh, my wife and uh, my baby and my family until he found out not too long after that that uh, there was a betting pool when the baby was going to come and the guys were wondering who was going to win the bet. Yeah. So each of us make decisions in our lives based on different motivations. And it's important for us to pay attention to our motives because they can result in either blessing others or result in only us focusing on ourselves and really using others. So the mark of a mature Christian, I hope you'll take, as you're taking notes, you'll write this down. The mark of a mature and healthy Christian. If you want to mark yourself and kind of figure out where you are in your walk with the Lord. The mark of a mature and healthy Christian is someone who is motivated by Jesus' love to treat others better than themselves with no strings attached. I'll say it again. The mark of a mature and healthy Christian, as you're maturing, as you're healthy in your walk with the Lord, you're marked by your motivation to love as Jesus loves better than you love yourself with no strings attached. Do you love others better than you love yourself with no strings attached? If so, then you're doing well. If not, you've come to the right place. So when's the last time that you preferred someone else over yourself? When's the last time that you... And I'll give you some examples. Let's just talk about eating for a moment. We're coming up this Thursday on Thanksgiving, and you know we're going to be having family together in different places and all that. And certainly, we're going to be eating some food, okay? And we're going to be with other people eating food, all right? So uh, let me ask you this. When you are meeting with your family and getting together, whether it be at a home or maybe you could do this at a restaurant, do you take the best seat at a restaurant? Do you take the best seat at your house? The one that's closest to the warm fireplace or in view of the football game or somewhere where you can see some pretty sights out, you know, outside. Do you take that best seat? Do you make sure you get there first where you're the center of attention and everybody's surrounding you? Do you take the best seat first? Are you the first one to sit down to make sure you get that best seat first? Do you let others go first in the buffet line? Are you going to get first in the buffet line to make sure you get the, the best helpings of everything? Yeah. Do you let someone else have the biggest, juiciest piece of fried chicken or wonderful piece of turkey breast or the biggest piece of pie, the largest slice of pie, the most beautiful piece? Or do you make sure you get it first? See, those are things you think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, what that's telling you is it's, it's the motivation of your heart. Are you preferring others more than yourself? Are you loving people like Jesus would love them? There are tons of examples of how we can prefer others over ourselves. And there's opportunities every day in big and small ways that we do it, not just this coming Thursday and not just during the holiday season, but every day of our lives, big and small ways. Whether it be a meal, uh, you know, meal times at Thanksgiving or whether it be giving gifts during the holidays or so many other things that we can do in our day-to-day -day throughout the year, our actions and our choices show very clearly where our hearts are as it relates to our motives. 
We're always tempted by our sinful nature to put ourselves first. But through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, as we, as we yield to Him and allow the Spirit of Christ to reign in our lives and also to allow the example of Christ to uh, be a pattern for us to live, we can put to death our selfish motivations more and more and allow the selflessness of Jesus to live in and through us more and more each day. It's a lifelong journey for, for us, but it's something that we need to press towards. You know, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he was particularly interested in people's motives and the reasons why they did what they did. Why they did what they did is very important to Jesus. Jesus observed a lot. He would just sit and watch. He was selective in what he said and when he said it. But he also knew that people's motives were really deep-seated heart issues. When he saw people, he didn't just see their actions. He saw the heart, their motive as to why they did it. And by the way, if this wasn't an issue in our lives, he wouldn't have brought it up to our attention and put it in God's word, in his word, our instruction manual. So this is all for all of us today. This is something that we all need to deal with. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to skip to verse 5. And then we're going to skip to verse 16 because it's in these three parts of Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus talks about giving and praying and fasting and listen to what he says. He is saying to you and I here today, this is who he was speaking to in the, within his earshot certainly uh, on that day, but he's also speaking to us here today. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He's telling you and I this morning, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Just let that soak in for just a moment. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Remember a couple of months ago we talked about the Bema Seat Judgment and the rewards that we're going to be getting from Christ as we stand before Him. It's not going to be a, a judgment of of punishment, it's going to be a judgment of rewards. And this is what he's implying here. He says, don't practice your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. In other words, look at me. I'm doing so well. Why do you think about that? He says, when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues of the street so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, you've received your reward in full. He starts going out some examples. Don't, don't, don't practice your righteousness because when you do, when you give to the poor, for example, he's saying, and you sound a trumpet, I just gave to the poor, and I gave quite a bit, and this is what I did. Jesus says, you just got your reward. There you go. Whoever was in the earshot going, good job. That's your reward. Then he goes on uh, in verse 5. He says, when you pray, this is another act of righteousness, another... Uh, example of what he's talking about as we walk these things out with Christ. He says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Oh, Jesus, I love you, I love you. Nothing wrong with that. But if your motive is so that people can see how spiritual you are and how, how anointed you are and how Pentecostal you are and how, how filled with the Spirit you are and how, you know, all that. If you're looking around, if you got one eye to heaven and one eye looking around saying, who's looking at me? Jesus continues by saying, I say to you that you've received your full reward. <laughs> it means nothing to him. 
It's like, wow, bummer, okay? Maybe I need to check my heart. Finally, he says this, verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Oh, they must be fasting because they're holding their stomach and they're talking about how they hadn't eaten in two, three days. They're so spiritual. He says, truly, I say to you, they've received their full reward. <laughs> so he's just really calling us on the carpet this morning, isn't he? Like, wow, all right. And you know he was looking at the Pharisees. He was, he was thinking probably about the Pharisees. They're all, you know, acting out like they, supposed to, like they think they're supposed to. But Jesus is like, no. He, 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 he was speaking to a group of people who focused too much on living out the law and looking righteous in front of others. That's who he's speaking to. Their priority was to look spiritual. And it was more important to them that they look spiritual than actually having a healthy spirituality. And Jesus is more concerned with what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside. Jesus' issue was not with the actions of the individuals. Really that they were doing in and of themselves. Because there's nothing wrong with giving. And there's nothing wrong with praying. And there's nothing wrong with fasting. In fact, they're needed disciplines of our walk with Christ. But he was interested in the motive behind the actions. And that's what he's wanting us to look at this morning. You know, there's many times we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Right? We do the right thing for the wrong reason a lot. Ugly motives can nullify our witness of who Jesus is to the world. The Christmas season is full of opportunities to serve others and to meet their needs. And while the things we do are inherently good in this season, some people see these opportunities as a way to receive praise for their generosity. So they'll drop that money in the bell ringer's bucket in hopes that that coin will make a loud enough noise and that people will see what's going on and that they'll be uh, recognized that way. Or maybe they'll tell a story about how they went and helped out at the soup kitchen downtown in hopes that others will acknowledge how spiritual they are. Jesus says these folks have received their reward in full. Now I'll give you an example of, as well, because I came up to Ishmael and said, Ishmael, tell us about this. He didn't say, I want to do it. I asked him to do it. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And there's a difference there. His motive was not to do anything but just to honor me asking him so that we could hear the good news of what went on. See the difference there? He didn't come up to me and say, look what I did, and I want to tell everybody. I came up to him and said, would you tell us what you did and the rest of the team? You know, these people that act these things out and want the world to know, they're going to get their applause and their, rec and their recognition that they desire from others, but really that's the end of it. That's all they're going to get. Jesus is saying that there is a greater reward that we, we, that we can receive by our willingness to serve others without needing all of that recognition. You see, rather than just getting applause... Someone who serves in humility develops a character that is worth far more than the praise of people. I don't know about you, but I want to develop in me a character, a Christ-like character, that is far more important to me than the praise of any man. And doing the right thing for the wrong reason can also cost us our ability to grow in the person that God wants for us to be. We kind of just get stifled and stunted in that. If all we do is for the praise of people, then we're never going to grow into that that God wants us to be. In fact, the very way in which Jesus came to us at Christmas gives us inspiration for living a life with the right motives. You all know this passage very well. 
but I'm going to read it to you in the context of what we're talking about here today. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. And everyone went out to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave him a firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the tower and the wonderful palace where the world could see with gold embedded and encrusted uh, 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 baby hamper and, and all the wonderful things. What's those things called? Cribs, you know? Baby hampers. That's not it. A crib. And the trumpets were blasted so that all the world could come and say, Oh, what a wonderful, precious, beautiful baby, this Son of God. That's not what happened. Oh, here, here comes the wonderful king of all kings, the priest of all priests, and he's born in the beautiful temple of God where he belongs. And all the priests shouted his praise. And, no, none of that happened. Where, where was he born? He wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no other room for him anywhere else. That was on purpose, by the way. It wasn't just tough luck, Jesus. Everything that happened in Jesus' life was on purpose, including where he was born. You know, if anyone deserved praise for their actions, it surely would have been the, the God of all the universe who became a human in order to rescue us, wouldn't you think? But I don't want you to miss the specific way in which Jesus came. He didn't come in a castle somewhere as a king. He didn't come in a holy temple in the middle of a city as a priest. He came in the form of a baby in a stinky, lowly manger full of farm animals. Clearly, Jesus' motives were not for recognition or for praise. His motivation was selfless love. And he modeled that for us to live out. The very reason we celebrate during Christmas isn't because of all of the gifts that we can get and the parties that we can attend and the fun that we can have as great and as enjoyable as these things are. But the reason for Christmas, lest I remind you and lest we forget, is because of a divine act of humility in the birth of Jesus to save us from our sins. So Jesus set the example some 2,000 years ago and he invites us to follow his lead today. You see, Jesus is our motivation. Jesus should be our motivation for doing what we do. Why do we do what we do? Jesus. Why do we give like we give? Jesus. Why do we pray and fast? Jesus. Why do we, why do we live our lives? It's all because of Jesus. Our motive is Jesus. An ugly Christmas sweater like this hideous thing that I'm wearing. And any Christmas party is meant to do one thing. It's meant to draw attention to that person wearing it. Same goes with us. When we do or say things to draw attention to us, instead of pointing people to Jesus, instead of it pointing people to Jesus, it's like wearing this ugly Christmas sweater all the time. 
When Jesus is our motivation for the things that we do, the deep desire within us is to draw attention to Him. Hear me this morning. Is what you do, how you do it, and why you do it, that others might see Christ in you or to see you. That's what we're talking about this morning. And that's what Jesus was telling us in His story about the giving and the praying and the fasting. Don't do like these guys. Do like I'm doing. I'm your model. You see, when we genuinely serve others, it becomes easy to say that we're doing this only because Jesus first served us. Right? When we genuinely love others around us, it's easy to say that we're doing this because Jesus first loved us. We serve others because he served us first. We love others because he loved us first. You get that? When we take the spotlight off of us, and place it on our Savior. He's the true hero. He's the true servant. He's the true lover of our souls. And Jesus is the true motive for anything that we do for others. At least it should be. It's a story of a powerful story of motivation from the annals of college football. Many of you might have heard this story. Notre Dame football store George Gipp. He could do it all. He could run. He could pass. He could punt with unparalleled skill. The 1920 season established George Gipp as a football star, but on December the 14th in 1920, that young George Gipp died of pneumonia. But thanks to college football stories and a movie in which former President Ronald Reagan portrayed the Gipp, the story of George Gipp lived on. On November the 10th, 1928, Notre Dame was behind at Army at, at halftime. Army was a strong team back then. They were down by six to nothing against Army. And Notre Dame was not having a too good of a season that year. So Notre Dame coach Newt Rockney, who himself was a legend, told of being at the dying Gipp's bedside a few years before. Rockney recalled how Gipp feebly said, Sometime, Rock, when the team is up against it, when things are going wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, tell them to go in there with all they've got and just win one for the Gipper. And they did. They came back from a 6-0 deficit to defeat that mighty army team 12-6. You know, the Notre Dame football team was motivated to honor the Gip. It inspired them to fight and to win. And as Christians, our motivation for living a life of loving service and a life of focus on others is not for us to receive praise or to receive recognition. But our motivation and our focus is on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice motiv motivates us to sacrifice for others as well. Jesus is our motivation. It's like Paul stated in Colossians 3.23, that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men or not for yourself, but do it as unto the Lord. We should never be out to impress others when we live righteous lives, but instead we should be out to honor our Lord Jesus. Amen? That's what Jesus meant by when he, when he said, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. In other words, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't, don't post it on social media or don't boast about it to, to others, cloaking it in some sort of praise report. I just want to praise Jesus that I was able to do this. 
You're not praising Jesus. You're praising yourself. Don't call the local news outlets so that they can write an article about it or have you interviewed on TV. Now, what exactly did you give to these people and how much? I don't know. I've seen that before. When I see news articles like that on TV and I think, yeah, you know, these sports stars and all that, that they give all this money and I think, yeah, but I just kind of roll my eyes at stuff like that because they're, they're really not as altruistic as they'd like to present themselves. They just got their reward. Jesus says, if we do it as unto him, our reward is greater. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Jesus is our motive for rewarding, for, for our reward of doing the right thing. So I encourage you today, let's, let's let that be our goal. Let's let that be our motivation. You know, man's praise is fickle. And man's praise is temporary. But God's rewards are certain, and God's rewards are eternal. Isn't that good to know? So no more ugly Christmas sweaters. I promise you this is the last time I'm going to wear this. This Christmas, let's allow Jesus to guide our words. And let's allow Jesus to guide our actions. And no matter how tempted we are to be self-serving and desire praise, let's let our motivation be to serve Christ and to let Him receive the praise. Folks, it's not a competition. I'm not here to compete against you. You're not here to compete against me. We're not here to compete against one another. One of the reasons that we find ourselves fighting against ugly motives is because many times we find ourselves in a competition for attention and accolades. Well, I'm going to do something so that I can get the praise because that person got the praise. You know, rivalry is really a, a pretty strong characteristic of the world that we live in. And it has no place in the heart of a Christian. Yet it can still be a very powerful motivation. Paul speaks to this way of thinking where he lifts up Jesus' humble, sacrificial life as our model to follow. Philippians chapter 2, a familiar passage, starting in verse 3, says, Do nothing, nothing. It doesn't say do most of nothing or very little. It says do nothing. That's a very absolute word. Nothing means nothing. Nothing means zero, not a zilch. Z nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. There it is. It's putting someone else in the best seat. It's making sure they get in front of you in the buffet line so that they can get the juiciest piece of turkey. It's okay. We can... We got... We're, we're doing fine. Let someone else have the turkey. All right? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your interests, but also each of you to the interests of others. And I think a lot of times what we do is we, we look to the interest of ourselves and not even pay attention to the interest of others. We, we get to the interest of ourselves and whatever's going to benefit us, and we never even pay attention to the interest of others. But he's saying, here's a balance. Go ahead and look to your interests, but also look to the interests of others. But he also says, value them in front. So the order is not just that you value yourself and value the others, but you value others first, before yourself. In your relationships with one another, he says, have the mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God. So here's our example. Paul's getting ready to tell us what Jesus did and how we need to model his example. He did nothing. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Again, born in a lowly manger, not as a priest, not as a king. He was born as a servant in a lowly manger, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He didn't have to do it. 
He didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to leave the splendor and the perfection and the glory of heaven. But God came up to him one day and says, I got a plan, and you're my plan. And he laid out the plan for the rescue of us. And Jesus says, wait a minute. I'm living here in the perfection of heaven. The angels are serving me. It's a wonderful place. It's perfect here. All the glory and all the wonder and the splendor of heaven. And you want me to do what? You want me to come to the earth? Okay, well, I can't, can I be born a priest? Can I be born a king? No, here's the thing. I need you to be born into a lowly manger in this stinky old place where all these animals are. And I need you to just be, here's, here's the life I need you to live. And here's the here's things you're going to need to experience. And I need you to then give your life for the beautiful people that we created that are just rebelling and they've lost their way and you're the way and you're going to be the truth and you're going to be the life now and would you do this? And Jesus, that were us, we would say, you're going to have to give me some guarantees here. Can I get a billion? Can I get two billion souls? Can I hear three? Do I hear four? I mean, make it worth my while, God. No, no negotiations. He said, I'll do it. Because I love. That's powerful. And that's the kind of heart, motive, life, love, attitude, approach that he is asking us to have towards others. Apparently, rivalry and competition within the church is not some kind of new issue. In fact, if you go all the way back to Cain and Abel, there was some rivalry there. But even in the church 2,000 years ago, Paul said, you know what? There should be no competition here. So he addressed it in the very roots of the early church. Paul knew that the desire to one-up and to be first would be the undoing of all Jesus came to build and establish. And what did Jesus come to build and establish? He came to be selfless. He came to be the last. And he came to be the least. And he's asking us to do the same. The same is true for us today. Folks, we're not in competition with one another. And we shouldn't be jealous of each other. Instead, we ought to cheer one another on. And to spur one another on. To each other, to, to, just moving forward in love and out of love. I love you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep giving. Keep serving. Keep blessing. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, each of us has been given certain things to steward by Jesus. And some of us have been given more than others, more talent, more money, more opportunities, but more isn't better. And by the way, less isn't worse. It's all in what we do with what we have that matters. And our attitudes and our motives behind them. When I'm motivated to honor Jesus first and then out of that honor those around me, then that's the only way that we're all going to win. So, let's stop living as ugly Christmas sweaters with ugly motives focused on ourselves only. This week, as we wrap this up here, this message... I want to challenge you with another homework assignment. Not again. Yes. That's all right. Most of you hadn't done the first two. <laughs> so that's all right. Still going to do it. I want to challenge you this week to be a secret, secret servant agent. Secret servant agent. Write that. Secret servant 
Agent. Undercover. Secret servant agent. Yeah, some of you are writing it down. Most of you are staring at me. That's all right. Secret servant agent. Undercover Christian. In a good way. So this week I want to invite you to choose one person. Just one. Start there. If you want to do two or three, that's fine. But at least one. One person to do something kind for as a way of honoring Jesus and honoring them. Here's the key. It needs to be done anonymously. It needs to be done in such a way where people aren't saying, oh, you did that. Hey, she did that. Hey, he did that. Good for them. Now, there goes your reward. You just got your reward. So you do it anonymously. Whatever way you choose to bless, don't let them know it was you. Well, that's hard for some of us. Because we want that recognition. See, maybe that might be coming up against a little bit of a grain for some of you. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Is your motive to, to receive the glory, to receive the recognition. And if so, if this is kind of hitting you like, well, really? Why, why wouldn't you want me? Because we're trying to work this out of us that doesn't belong. And in us, what does? So do it in such a way where they don't know it was you. In other words, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. And what that means is we don't tell others about it. Allow your motivation for serving to be Jesus rather than recognition. It might send, you know, maybe send an anonymous letter of encouragement, anonymous letter of encouragement, not an anonymous letter that's the other way, an anonymous gift card. An anonymous gift on a doorstep or an anonymous need being met. Listen, this is the week to do it, isn't it? With Thanksgiving. Is there somebody that you know at your workplace, in this church, in your neighborhood, at your school? Is there somebody that you know that needs to be blessed? And as you're doing this, I want you to remember the words of Jesus. He said it in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He said it's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Yeah. This is exactly what he's talking about. Uh, I want to encourage you to... Actually, I want to challenge you. If you hadn't done the first two homework assignments, do this one, Okay. Don't let your selfish, take your selfish motivations and, and flip them around. And say, Lord, I want to be selfless in my acts for others. In other words, I want to do it expecting nothing in return. God help us to be with our motives, to, to do the things as unto the Lord and not to get any sort of praise this Christmas. This holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and really for the rest of our lives, let our reward be becoming more like the person God designed us to be with true Christ-like motives that honor and glorify Him. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, as we, um, as we are given this assignment here, and we, we realize that maybe there's some things in us that are really a need that we too often our motives are to get the praise or to get the benefit where we try to manipulate things so that we can get some sort of benefit or reward we try to make sure we 
get that best seat, best place in line, best piece of food, best gift, best this, it's all about us. God, forgive us. Forgive us for letting anything that we do be to benefit us primarily. Jesus, you're our example. You came, you got no benefit out of this. You really didn't get any benefit out of what you did. Everything that you did was for us, everything. In fact, even as I think about this this morning, Lord, you're, you're forever, forever and all of eternity, where before you had a perfect glorified body, now you have a perfect glorified body with scars on it. Those will never go away, but you did it for me. You did it for us. You allowed your body to be marred for eternity. <laughs> Selflessly acting. On our behalf. You did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And all we can do is say thanks. And serve you. And then model that for others. Lord, I pray that you would right now lay in our hearts to walk out this homework, homework assignment this week, that we, would, that we would do something selflessly, anonymously, even if it's just a tiny little small thing, let us begin to build that muscle this week, that spiritual muscle that says, okay, I want to be more selfless and less selfish. And I want my motives to be not to get the praise of man, but that Jesus, you would be praised. It's a good goal. I pray that you'd help us to walk that out. We can't do it in our own strength. Our flesh wants the praise. Our flesh wants the recognition. But Holy Spirit, you can help us as we yield to you our flesh. And that we would die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow you and be that reflection, that representative, that ambassador, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week with friends and family and loved ones, many send me people traveling. I pray that you give them traveling mercies, keep them safe, let them have a wonderful time with their friends and family. But Lord, let us not be so busy as we really start kicking off the holiday season with Thanksgiving and rushing into Christmas and next thing we know we're going to look back and say wow it's the new year we're not careful we're, there's going to be these opportunities that are going to pass us by because we're so focused on the next thing the next thing the next thing instead of being present in the moment and aware of the opportunities that are all around us to be selfless and to be blessing a uh, blessing to others without any recognition for ourselves but just being Jesus just glorifying you with kind words kind actions and gifts and other sorts of things that we would do but father let this be more than just what we do during the holidays but let this expand out into our 24 7 seven days a week 12 months out of the year let us walk this out all the time because there's always needs for us always opportunities for for us to be Christ to others do forgive us Lord 
for being so selfish. Please forgive us, Lord, for thinking of ourselves first and sometimes thinking of ourselves only with our hands out, always, always taking and never giving. Forgive us. Forgive us for the words that we say that pour mouth and manipulate people's emotions so that we can get blessed with stuff and always thinking about ourselves. What a small, small life that is. Lord, grow us out of that and expand our lives to impact those around us. It's not all about us. It's never about us. It's always about you. And your word does say that if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, then these things are going to be added to us anyway. So, yeah, there's that. Help us, Lord, to be Christ and to not be us. Let our motives be pure. And we thank you, Jesus, for these things in your name. Amen.